This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. As opposed to a, a Thursday morning where there were almost no questions, it's now been a flood of questions. I, I'd like to apologize to all my close Talmudians who uh, won't, won't get their questions in. Uh, uh, we're going for the most general and generally asked set of questions. Okay, uh, a Mishnah with two Deos talking about some case that could not have happened in the times of in the times of Matan Torah. Uh, are, is, this, is this what Moshe heard at Sinai? Is this God's, is this, are these the words of God? Um, I guess the question is a few. Do you have an example to, to or, or just? Uh, Do we have an example from the person who asked this? Well, let me. So, so let's, I guess, um, speak about it in general way. And the when you want to get a point across. A lot of times, even in Talmudic discussion, when you want to get a point across, you pick a case not because it's so likely to happen, but it's usually the best test of trying to get the principles across. Um, so if, for instance, even when you're studying law, if, if you want to sort of home in on a specific point, you might pick a case that sounds absurd, but it gives you an exact sense. Let me, let me give an example of something which um, the Gemara uses that sounded absurd for a very long time, and now it's actually become practical, but it also, it stressed the principle. Um, there was a question of a, a firstborn child of an animal has certain Kedusha to it. We read about it this week, Sedra, Abhar has Kedusha. There's a, a question in the Gemara about wombs, two animals' wombs exchanging fetuses, what halachas they have. It sounds extremely absurd. Probably on a practical level, I don't believe it ever happened or could happen. But first of all, before even speaking practically, it drives home a certain point about when we say that there's a kedusha that happens, is that because the conception was in the womb, or is it actually the birth? What does petarech mean? It, today, it's become relevant with artificial insemination and surrogate hosts, and that halach has become relevant. I don't even need to speak about Ruach HaKodesh, the Merida Ruach HaKodesh, and so on. It rather was a, a case that sort of sharpened the sense of what is the, what is the exact um, point of the halacha. So all the cases that you find that sound a bit absurd or unusual, it's... It's not, they don't start as practical questions, they start as questions designed to sharpen the, the, um, to sharpen the concept, and that's what, that's what it's there for. Can I, can I read the sure. question? Please. The question I get frequently is uh, teaching Introduction to Gomorrah is, okay, we just heard a Mishnah. Is that God speaking to us? Is that somebody with his own opinion speaking to us? Is that the intersection of the two? How do I understand okay. who the, good, how do I understand good, good question, important question. Um, the words of the Torah, of Torah, not Nach, are the words of God. The Navi is the words of God as it passes through a Navi. Meaning, imagine I would have I'd be using a microphone now, the voice you would hear 
it's accurately mine in terms of what was said, but it's picked up, it's picked up some of the flavor of the mic. Um, or two people testifying about something, and each one expressing it somewhat differently. They both have the same basic facts, but their style and the words are different. So Nevi'im Exuvim is one Madrega less, and that includes in itself a change of style, but it's fixed. And finally, Mishnah works like this. Um, Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu um, two Torahs, a written Torah and an oral law. The oral law is fundamentally different than the written law. It's, and the reason why it wasn't allowed to be written was because it's not a law that expresses itself in the words, but in the idea and the concept. For instance, if you're a teacher and a kid, you ask a kid to tell you, I don't know, to tell you about Gettysburg Address, and he gives it back to you verbatim, you know that he's memorized it, but might not have a clue about what it says. Unless he can tell you in his own words, he doesn't have the ideas behind it. You're, n you're certainly not sure of that. So the reason why Hashem gave it in two different, in two different modes was because we transmit specific words and we transmit understandings. Each one of these two complements the other. Let's, let's, give it, let's demonstrate something that we're familiar with. When, you, when you're studying a, a, um, you're studying a lot of things, let's say physics or law, you like to have a very clear and specific definition, which tends to be extremely unclear until someone explains it with a lot of words. And you like the clear and concise definition because of the way it, it's precision and the way the words are exactly what it's supposed to be. And you like the explanation because you actually understand what it means. And that, that, but, you know, sometimes a person will talk and then you say, okay, bottom line, can you tell me one sentence what you meant? But if the person would have started with that sentence and stopped there, you would say, okay, can you explain what you mean? So, so both of them, these are two different ways of understanding. One is this clarity and precision of precise words. And then there is an oral, uh, and a lot of times it's a difference between a document that's written tends to be very precise, not, al not always easily understood what the person is driving at. Oral exposition tends to be much more understood, but a lot of times you have a hard time nailing down specifics. So those are the two Torahs that are given to Moshe. The oral law, which is the basis for the Mishnah, is the explanation of the written law. It says sukkahs. Well, it's great. It's interesting in sukkah. What is a sukkah? Um, it's basic its basic dimensions, its basic halachas were given to Moshe, and understanding of it in a way that when new areas would come up, we could extrapolate and find and figure out what would be the law and cases that were not given. So Moshe was given an oral basic explanation, which is not, it's not, not committed in writing, but it's not committed in precise words, and an understanding that would allow him to refer to many later cases and, 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 and be able to understand what will happen in new cases. What will happen if pieces of it got forgot? If I understand the idea behind it, I can actually um, I can reconstruct much that might have been forgotten. 
So the, the Mishnah is, at, the Mishnah was a time when they needed to sum up all that oral law because of the danger of being forgotten. So they committed it to writing, and writing means just more than just printing, but they committed it to certain words. So in substance, in content, it's what Hashem either told Moshe or what ought to follow logically from what he told Moshe. That's the difference. So we have three different madregas. We have Torah, which is the words of Hashem, and that's why we all do gematrias in Torah, and, and it, ranging from gematrias we've shown him to, to, the, um, to all of the contemporary counting of the words and, and stuff like that. It's all legitimate. If it's legitimate, it's legitimate only in Torah. I've yet to hear somebody do gematrias in Vimek Suvim, because the Vimek Suvim is very more diffuse. It's Hashem's words in the language of the Navi, and the Gemara says so. No two, if you take a look at the prophets, if it's all God's word, God changes styles very frequently. <laughs> Yeshaya and Yecheskel are very different than, than you know, Yeshaya is different, Yecheskel is different, Yermio is different. Um, each one else is different. So, so the, it's diffused in a certain language. And then you have, um, and then you have the, uh, and, and then you have Mishnah, which is content-wise what Hashem gave Moshe to the best of our abilities to recollect and put it together, and or it's a derivation, a logic derivation of that. That's the so, so that would be the answer for that. The, uh, I'd just like to mention that there is a every little BNC has a whole set of shiri. Um, the Rambam's introduction to Mishnayos at, at his website. If, if you, there's also a class on. Okay. Uh, uh, when, when, okay. Uh, given that. Uh, if the Gemara is uh, for learning Gemara to understand the halacha, uh, why don't we just read English translations, maybe some art school halacha, and spend a lot more time on deep philosophical uh, works of a moon? Why do we have to work so hard? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave out two sites of print, two languages, uh, no punctuation, no grammar, and Rabbis who also use a Germanic tongue that we don't have. Okay. Irrelevant topics to our okay. daily life. Yeah. So let me... Um, uh, so, so wait, it goes back to the first point. Look, there's, there's an old Yiddish anecdote, ancient Germanic languages that they don't use, yes? Uh, by the way, um, I'm a bit insulted because my first language, my language is actually Yiddish. My parents were survivors and we spoke, they didn't know any English, they spoke only Yiddish at home. And... When my father was peeved that my children spoke Ivrit and when it's in Yiddish, he asked my oldest boy, who was, I think it must have been eight, nine at the time, and asked him why he doesn't speak any Yiddish. And he asks, and he asked my father, well, what's, what's important about Yiddish? He said, you know, you may, you may not decide to stay in Israel for the rest of your life, you may want to move to America, so you got to know Yiddish. <laughs> so my son was still kind of young and very innocent, and he told my father, you know, in Hebrew, but I thought American they speak English. So my father told me, you know, it's possible to get around with English, but Yiddish is the more important of the languages. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth was, where I grew up, you know, I still, I grew up basically at the tail end of that old generation. Probably Yiddish was lingua franca, even amongst the non-Jews, and we had an Italian hat guy who spoke Yiddish perfectly well because that was his business. You know, Mopen, and uh, Yiddish was his, uh, I wouldn't say his first time, but it was, it was quite good. Um, but so it's all all that stuff, that there was the, a town idiot imbecile who came to the rav and complained bitterly and says, you know, in town over here they are my life is just wretched. 
kids just run after you all day long and call me idiot, imbecile. I don't know what to do. So he said, what we do is you take a rock and you throw it at the lead uh, uh, guy, and when he gets hit, they'll all scatter. This guy said, okay, that's good advice. He said, but what, what do I do in shul? They also make my life miserable in shul, and there are no rocks in shul. He said, okay, you take a stender, you take a, a chair, a stender, and you ram it into the kid that's the lead guy, all this person. But another he said, what about the mikvah? There are no rocks and no shtenders in the mikvah. <laughs> okay, he said, you walk over to the lead kid and you smack him real hard and they'll all disperse. He said, Rabbi, if I had the type of brains to remember all the different cases, like where to use a rock, where to use a shtender, where to do this, I wouldn't have to ask you advice in the first place. The, 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 point, the point of that anecdote is that an idiot is somebody who remembers details and doesn't, and doesn't go to generalities. The point of this, of the oral law, and it's actually Sifri that says that, that a person should try to remember the rules, the, 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 the cases, the reason why the Mishnah tends to deal with specific cases is because a specific case can lock in many, many rules more than if you'd list them out. So, so what you're trying to do is you're looking at the Mishnah and trying to learn out of Gemara and try to learn as much as possible from the case, what can you derive from it? The Chazanish, the Chazanish was the great Talmud uh, Chacham, one of the, 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 the great Talmud Chacham of, of, of the past generations. His main focus in learning was something called Dinim Ha'olim. How many points can I derive from the Sugya? Because when he finished learning the Sugya, he would ask himself, how many halachas could I possibly extrapolate from what I've learned? It includes not only what it says and how the Gemara says this applies in this case and the other case, but it also includes, more importantly, what's the rule that the Gemara has created for us? What do I see? What's, what's the big picture I see from the small cases? It takes skill to do that, it takes knowledge. Um, so so the, the point of learning Gemara is to begin to understand the process of halacha. Until you don't understand the process of halacha, you're an outsider. And it's nice that you're willing to accept and keep everything, but until you don't... Let, let's, let's take an example. Let's say somebody um, takes a, a, a primitive person from, I don't know, pig, I don't know what the, the... from the Amazon, someone who's never seen civilization. And he parachutes him into New York. So, I guess his first expression would be, my God, it's a jungle here. i got to go back to civilization. <laughs> that, might be, that might be one thing that, that we get out of him. But, but if, he's, if he's right in any way, he would probably say, I must learn how to drive a car. That's the first thing. So he has two ways of learning how to drive a car. He can sit down, and somebody will tell him what to do in every case. Um, push, pull, turn, move, you know, and basically just... The only thing I'll explain to him is when to turn this and when to push here and when to push there. The second person will spend some time giving him the rudiments of <coughs> mechanics, uh, electricity, car, and he might spend a few months of that, and the person will protest and say, I, I don't plan on opening up a factory to produce cars. I only want to learn how to drive a car. And the answer will be, it's a whole different world if you understand how the car works and where these rules and regulations come from, or, or just teaching rules and regulations. So, it, it's, it, getting a feel for where halacha comes from is invaluable. It's, 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 um, you can admire somebody who's willing 
to live the rest of his life with rules and relations that he just, just the rabbi told him and that's that, but it's, it's terribly, terribly difficult to do it, and, and at the end of the day, it's, it's probably not doable in a sense. So getting the feel for it, and yes, it's an uphill battle, but because the Gemara has not been quote-unquote translated, you're basically living through the arguments through the, the way they were said. And you, it, it helps you pick up the mindset of the Talmud more than any particular rules or regulations. How, how important is it to, for a Jew to live in Eretz Israel? Everyone says life is a struggle in Israel, but if you think you can make it, should you try? So there's an. Uh, d- can, can, yes. Sorry, can we go? Can I follow up on the. Yes, please. Yeah, okay. Cool. So let's. So great. We, we, it's, it's important to understand the process of halacha, the thinking behind halacha. Why shouldn't we just learn things that are relevant? Why should we spend so much time on things which are irrelevant? So. Um, Let's ask. Let's. This this question applies in yeshivas also, and there was actually different movements in Hungary, for instance, which was a much more practical, down-to-earth approach to it. The vast majority of people, the the, the tractates and the Talmud that they studied, were those relevant to day-to-day life. Shabbos, Chulin, Brachis. Um, the um, those are the mainly main studied ones in the in the so-called Lithuanian yeshiva world. It was, it, it, to the contrary, they focused a lot more on the so-called less relevant, the things that only a, a, somebody would be a dying or somebody might learn. The reason behind it was, the thought process was as follows. <coughs> the mesechtes that are more relevant, down-to-earth, I say down-to-earth, practical, applicable, maybe that's the right word for it, um, were, would tend to focus the kids' attention on the practical rather than on the principle. So if you're learning Shabbos about a blech, about Cholent, so, so the kid, the focus is not on the principle of what can constitutes Atman and whatnot. It was a lot more about how to have my Cholent just right on Shabbos. It's, it's, it, takes, it takes a process to be able to think <coughs> of the principle and, and, and make it into something that is, um, that the kid can think in an abstract way. They, I mean, Rav Salvechik from Shiva University once said that my grandfather, Rav Chaim Salvechik, took Yerodeya out of the kitchen and brought it into the base medrash. Now, instead of Yerodeya being a way how to run your kitchen, it was a way of understanding what the Torah meant in Basa Bachal and Taruvis. So it was felt that educationally the best place to develop this type of thinking was in those Masechtas. Traditionally, what happens in Yeshivas like Natsor, where it's like full time learning, the younger years you spend doing that, and then the older years, as when you get married and you go into kolel, the, the emphasis seems to be on the more so-called applicable masechtes. Chulin, Nida, Shabbos, Erevin, Mikvos tend to be the most studied in kolel. So, so there is ribis. There is that transition with the idea being that just like Lahavdal in, in university, it's thought that a liberal, a general liberal arts education is very important, no matter what you do afterwards, because change it to think and, and, and so on, and then to go on to something more specific. The American college system is built on that. You, you know, whatever you're studying, but there's going to be a component of, of, of liberal arts with the understanding that that's supposed to educate you in thinking. Yes? How important is it for a Jew to live in Eretz Israel? Everyone says life is a struggle in Israel, but if you think you can make it, should you try? So first, there are different thoughts, there are different schools of thought, and I want to acknowledge that. 
the what's called religious national group really feels that spiritually living at the soul is extraordinarily important, and in many ways it's the most important thing to do. It's not something I'm part of, but I just want to recognize that it exists and, and it's important to acknowledge that, you know, and, and they feel that this it's the key to most everything else. It's the key to many of our problems. No assimilation, intensive Jewish living, um, safety, and so on. It's, you know, one point table, and they have sources stressing the, the importance of itself. Chazal do say tremendous things about living in Israel. The world that I come from, my chinuch, my mesoros, is Torah is the most important thing. Um, and living in Israel, it greatly enhances a person's spiritual experience. Um, and therefore, living in Israel is important. But there are other considerations to take into account, and it's an halacha broad. For instance, if parnasa is doable in Eretz Yisrael, then it's a very powerful point to be made living in Eretz Yisrael. If it's not doable, if a person's not all that sure where or how, or, or he's really out of close, then it's brought in halacha. I think it's, it's brought down in the Tshubas farm and in Shoharaf brought, that if a person's not sure about parnasa, because poverty tends to drive a person to do all sorts of bad things, a person should think twice about it. If a person won't fit in, and, and, and there are some very difficult ruchnistic decisions that, because of the mile of it, there's a very low tolerance for any deviance, no matter where you are. So things are very, very straight and narrow, whichever direction you go to. If a person feels he doesn't fit in, he's not going to have a place that he comfortably fits in. It's a real issue. And it's something that should be personally discussed with the Rebbe, that you feel comfortable, understands you, and will set you right. It's, it's a tremendous mila. There's, there's no entry amount of Chazal that speak about the Ruchnius, and you feel it, you see it. On the other hand, some of the difficulties ups, upend any, any advantage you'll have Ruchnius. So this is a very personal decision to discuss with the Rebbe. Uh, okay, I, I have two questions that uh, two different students put a lot into it. They're very similar, but I want to respect both okay. of them. One's from the more academic intellectual angle. I have read about the text Kol HaTorah attributed to the teachings of the Gra, which discusses the idea of Torah in exile that sparks a Torah. Wisdom can be found in non-Jewish, uh, non-Torah dominions, uh, religions, secular studies. Can you speak to this topic and in a more avodic way? What can we learn from disciplines outside of Torah? Even though we know Torah is MS, isn't it true that other areas of knowledge, science, mathematics, literature, fiction, hold sparks of truth? Is it appropriate for our growth to also focus on these areas or even to find our purpose there? Um, so, so it, 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 these are two very different questions, actually. There are very broad areas here. And, and uh, let's... Um, Let's, I guess, try to find what are the, what are the commonalities or not. First of all, there are two areas that, that are put together because what we call secular includes two very, very diverse things, thank you very much, put together. One is, let's call it science, and one is philosophy. Science would mean the facts around us and our best evaluation of, of the laws that govern those facts. That's one area. And the second area is, what is the good and the right? And that's philosophy, one way or another. It, it, I mean, what is good and bad? <coughs> I, I, I would say that, in, in any sense, 
that would be a summation of, of philosophy. Um, whether even that philosopher believed this good and bad, doesn't make it, but, but that's the issue they wrestle with. It, today, it used to be philosophy and science was one topic. Anybody who's familiar with it knows that the Aristotle wrote both uh, seamlessly. It was considered natural philosophy. It was considered, it was considered not a bench philosophy. That's because people used to think that nature works by ideas. They sort of <laughs> come around to, to, to giving up on that and feeling that nature works by facts and not ideas, and that's that. But we're talking about two different worlds. Under the world of philosophy, I would include things like literature, poetry. These are expressions of ideas that, by and large, um, in a big sense, it's in the world of right and wrong. The two of them have extremely different, um, let's call it, positive contributions and negative contributions. In terms of science, science itself is not a really it's not something that ought to influence your thinking in any way. They're facts, the realities. We gain three things from science. First of all, a lot of useful stuff. Computers, iPhones, uh, water coolers, all these things. And that's very, very good. And it's, it's, it falls under the normal development of the world. Does a person, should a person, need a person go into all sciences, broaden himself? Well, let's, let's see in a second. Um, but, but definitely in terms of functionality, what modern science is a very good thing. But that's a very minor role. Second thing we have is we can gain a tremendous appreciation for the Bria. Ain't a doma if a person looks at the sky and says, wow, it's amazing. Or if a person says, one second, what keeps all of these different bodies balanced that they don't fall into each other? You've got to make calculations that are beyond human scope. To, to have a solar system, because to have so many bodies um, suspended means the gravitational forces acting are now balanced. If you understand that, you know that, your appreciation of God's uh, 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 flaws is, is, is exponentially greater. So s s understanding details of science gives an incredible appreciation. I, I read something... And I, but using the damage, again, this was a totally secular book. This book had nothing to do with religion, no, not proving anything. It's about the about cells put out by Oxford Press, nice press, good, you know, sort of layman type of general science. And one of the remarks there was that a typical cell has 50 to 60,000 chemical interactions vital for its, for its life. And, and that floored me. You know, it, it's like you think a cell is a, almost a nothing. Like we could almost make a cell out of Play-Doh with with, with uh, one or two more chemicals. Fifty-six thousand interactions. I mean, th this is not a book trying to prove anything. It's just it's just part of the description of, of life of a cell. It, it, to me, that that was it, it blew my mind. It was incredible. So the more we work out the details of Bria, it enhances appreciation. That's two, and the third is more subtle. We believe that a Baruch who's um, Akarish Baruch, whose pattern of interaction with the world is the same, is, it's a pattern that holds true on every level. So, to use an, an, an example, you can have a phenomenon expressed by a mathematical formula, you can have it by a graph, and you can have it by reality. And each one gives, uh, each one follows the same pattern, it's just in a different plane. Mikubalim have made use of the human body and its structure to give you a basic sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's action with the world. The fact that the human body is a symmetry of right and left, two equal parts 
that yet are in opposition to each other. In some way, they have a hard way to grasp it. The fact that the person walks upright, very unusual. Um, and, and the fact that the person's senses are in one place. And the fact that all of these things are, the, it's the physical expression of some inner truths. So for a person who's a tremendously deep person, an understanding person, he can tease out and, and see much of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's work in that way. Uh, for most people, I don't, I don't know if it will do anything. But the, the idea, it's so many of the points, the idea that we're guided by two lights, a light that has, a light source that has its own internal radiation and something that reflects the other radiation. That's a very, very deep concept. In other words, we have two luminary sources. One is that is in reality a source, and one is reflects the other one. What does it say about it, 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 all of these things? Are are have a lot of incredible truths, but you obviously need to be a very, a very big Talmud Chacham and and have a, a a sense of things of being able to correlate these things. So science has these three things that are um, true and 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 uh, you know and that are helpful and useful. How much of it does a person need to know? How does a person know? Again, there are different approaches to it, and it really depends on where you see yourself being. There are some some people that felt a, a very big understanding of it is important. Some people felt moderate, modest, and some people felt almost nothing. I, I, you know, that, that's, that's more of a detail. In the other area, the realm of ideas, of philosophy, um, there are two, A, yes, there are sparks of Kedush that fell into these places, and that means there's going to be truths in many of the things written in, in the Gentile works, in the secular, let's call it that Gentile, secular works. The problem with it is two things. First of all, being able to put a finger on it. You know, science, if it's proven, it's proven. And then it's just a question of making, of where it fits in. Ideas come and go. And, they, you know, some ideas that sound very attractive one generation are not attractive in our generation, and so on. Um, how do I test an idea and see if that idea fits with Torah or doesn't fit with Torah? Not an easy one. Uh, and the most important issue is anything that's written well tends to influence a person. It tends to be mashpia on a person. Mm -hmm. And we're never sure when we're object For a person who's very sensitive and he reads a beautiful poem, he's swayed to the, to the tune of the poem and accepts it because, and there's a certain level of having been, you know, having been swayed by something other than his intellect to believe things that maybe are not right. And if you were able to sort of stand back and look at it, so so that's that was that was a reason why, for instance, if you take a look at some of the Spanish Rishonim, the Akeda I'm, I'm, I'm taking in particular, who was accepted by everybody. He, he wrote a big Pirush on Chumash. The reason why you probably haven't seen any of it is because it's very long. It's run on, it's like the sentences are, 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 are a few hundred pages run on. Um, <laughs> they ask, like, he asks a bunch of questions on a thing, goes through a very long arichus, digresses. Uh, I mean, it, it's very difficult, but it's, it's, it was one of the farm considered to be the fundamentals. Now, he comment and Abarbanel quotes him many times, even, even many times without attributing his name, because that was common practice. You know, if you, you took somebody else's major thing, you, it was assumed to everyone understand where it came from. Abarbanel was was a collector. Um, they took Aristotle's understandings in many areas, 
as being the obvious. And they would argue in some areas. Notice, he would speak, for instance, about the question, is a person struggling to do good versus a person that's natural to him, who's the better person? He brings Aristotle, and then he says Aristotle has it wrong. In other words, his point is a point that needs to be um, taken into consideration. He's wrong because it's based on an axiom that we don't think is right. So they did assume that there was a lot there, and they did study it. The problem was there were many areas where they felt the Rambam so also. The Rambam, in many areas, he said anything dealing with in our world of nature, Aristotle is absolutely right. Anything above that, he is very wrong, and there are certain areas that he was extraordinarily critical that he felt were, were contradicted fundamentally of Muna. Do we have the ability to discriminate? Are we, do we have that ability to, to take out the good and not be swept along? The consensus is not likely that we'll take out only the good and not have other things. So there is an understanding that it's true, there is the good there. That which the Rishonim have taken out and, and, have, and have adopted as being absolutely true and in consonance with our values, we've accepted. Obviously, if Ramban brings Aristotle we, we, and, and quotes him positively, then, then we feel it's right. We don't feel confident enough that we have the intellectual ability, A, to distance ourselves from the music of it and to make those determinations, what's, what's right and what's not right. Yeah. Uh, is there can we hear about a positive vision of Lithuanian beyond not being musical, not being mystical, not being emotional? <laughs> <laughs> Those are all positive attributes, aren't they? <laughs> I'm a Lithuanian, so it's so I, I've heard three very positive things about Lithuanians, and uh, um, I hate to be self-promoting. Not about myself. I, I did write up something about my father, who came from Lithuania. My father lived there. He was an, a grown-up person. He was cut off in the war. He lost his first wife and children. I'm from a second marriage. Um, and my mother actually comes from some Hasidic Polish background, so you know, it was different inputs in terms of emotion versus intellect. I, I think the Rosh Hashivas I've gotten to know and who are Lithuanian, and again, coming from my father, so I wrote about him, and I, this was a point that sort of comes through in the, in the writing about it. Um, the feeling was, and this was something that actually drove the early Chabad, which even though it was Hasidic, was a Lithuanian movement, Russian Lithuanian. The feeling was that emotions that come easily are worthless. In other words, the type of stuff, if you're speaking it up and 10 minutes have you crying, then the whole thing is worth nothing. And, and, and it, it, learning to control your it's, it's sentimental value, let's put it that way. Um, somebody said about my father, and I actually repeated it on the hospital, my father said it 20 years ago. Um, he, he, he said, your father was a deep Balregish, but not a sentimental person. Balregish means a person of deep feeling and emotion. Regish is feeling and emotion, and a Balregish means someone who has that, as opposed to easy sentiments and, and an easy cry or an easy laugh. It, it was Lithuanian jury... Um, demanded, in the Lithuanian mindset was to think first, and it's only if the um, and only if the emotion comes out despite that clamp of thought then it's genuine. I I'll say over Hasidic Vart that actually reflects it. I again, I hope we're, we're advanced enough 
that that um, I can give over the nuance properly. It's a very beautiful word, but it depends on certain nuance of Hebrew. Um, this was said by somebody called Reb Nachum Mendel of Varka. It, it, in short, just the, the history of it is fascinating. The Kotzka Rebbe was someone who pushed exactly what I told you. He was Polish, as Polish as they come. His point was the easy sentimentality of Chassidus is, is a farce. It's not genuine. Genuine is only when you're in absolute control of yourself, and it's still the emotion manages to rip its way past the control of, 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 of intellect. Then it's genuine. So he was very much like it. Some of his Talmudim did not see eye They broke away. One of them was Yitzhak Varka. And his son, um, with, I don't think without realizing it, went the other direction. And he was known for his absolute self-control, being very laconic. And, and you know, he had a son, Rabbi Nachman Mendel, that he named after his Rebbe. And ironically, he had the same personality. That was, so he's known for very, very short, literally a few words, his verita are that. One of them is as follows. It says, Oz Yosha Moshe, as Ashira says. Then Moshe sang, then Moshe sang the song. Well, we're reading it this week, actually, Mashallah. So it counts as Pasha also. So you got to be more than Pasha okay? <laughs> we, we got Pasha also. See, two for the price of one. The, um, the, the, so the word Oz, then Moshe sang, is limp. What do you mean then? Well, of course, that's the story. They crossed the Yamsov and he sang. But was it Oz Yosha Moshe? Rashi asked this question. So one answer Rashi has one point, and then he says, "Oz Oz b'machshavto." That's when Moshe. Also, the, the Yosha is 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 is, is, is it. He said it means future tense. The, right, it's future tense. Good, thanks. Oz b'machshavto <laughs> means then Moshe thought about, and he actually sang. So it's kind of leaves you also kind of wondering. Of course, before you do something, you think about it, so on and so forth. So, Reb Nachum Mendel Varka added the following words. He said, Az Allah, the word Allah on Rashi, it, 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 which means, in the way you order translate Rashi, is, then arose in his mind the idea to sing. He added, you know, he, he put uh, an addition, Kemoi Allah al Gadoisa. The word Allah, in this case, to rise, is similar to the usage. Of a of a pasuk Yeshua, that something rose and the waters rose and overflowed the banks of the Yarding. So the word Allah should be understood not as a rose in his machshava, but overflowed his machshava. That was the way he. That was the, the nuance. Meaning, in other words, the translation of it is that a song is appropriate when it overwhelms the the banks of machshava. A person should be in control of his emotions. When emotion overflows so that, so that you've lost control because of the intensity of emotion, that's a genuine emotion. So, so it, 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 the people that I knew, the Lithuanian people, there were, for instance, there was a person I was Zoha to be very close to, Reb Zelig Epstein, who was a great Roshiv in, in New York, and for, for the first 10 or 15 years I was there, he was my Das Torah, the person I would consult on important issues. Um, his depth, his breadth, his understanding of people, his care was extraordinary. He was a person that many people came to for advice and so on. He passed away about five, six years ago. He was very Lithuanian, and he would never hug me. There was no, there was no physical, there was no gushing, bubbling, but his eyes, 
and the tone of his voice and, and everything about it, it had a lot, a lot of feeling to it that was incredible. And it was a lot more meaningful because it was almost as if you force, it's like if I give you a muscle. Sometimes you have a flood. I'm sure, I don't know if it happens here, but I can see on the ceiling there must have been some pipes burst or something. <laughs> and you can have a flood where it bursts out, and then you have a big stream of water in one place. And, and sometimes, God forbid, if the pipes burst somewhere in the floor, inside, deep, nestled deep in somewhere, you don't know where the water is, but every place you touch is damp. And, 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 and in terms of plumbing, that's a real problem, especially at this room where you have to open up every balata, and, it's, and, and it looks bad. But, but that type of thing, when you drive something inwards, it tends to diffuse and everything becomes. When you express the emotion with a hug, it's a minute, and that's <coughs> it. When, when, when you sense the way the person is relating to you and looking at you, when the emotion sort of... So everything that he says has a certain softness and <coughs> kindness, um, a thoughtfulness to it. Those, those were, they, they were extraordinarily um, beautiful, um, you know, it was an extraordinarily beautiful expression of life. So, yes, if, if, if you come from a different culture where things are expressed much more in, in, a, in bursts, it kind of seems as if they're cold. And yes, some of those people were cold people and, you know, were a bit lacking in emotion. But again, when it, when, it, when it played itself out, and Chabad, the truth be said, Chabad in its first, in its first Gilgal was very into this. The whole the point of Chabad training was no overt emotion. That's what Tanya is based on. No overt emotion except that which comes from deep thought and understanding. Uh, why does the Torah give all the power in marriage to, to men? Because my experience, but, but. the smartest, stronger. <laughs> hey, what's, what's, the, what's the question? Does anyone disagree here? Do we have? <laughs> um, okay, let, let, let's discuss the issue. Um, I, I want to discuss it on two levels, on, on three levels. First of all, the the what I'm telling you now. If I if, I guess if I can um, make it as a general rule. What we can determine pretty much with certainty is halacha. What we need, the, the, the idea, like I said before, the, the big picture that connects the points is somewhat subjective. In other words, I can tell you the halachas and make the case based on it. The picture could be drawn differently, but I'm telling you is a sense of it. I can't, I don't know if it's, it's not written anywhere clearly, but it's a sense of combining all the points and different things. And, and that's where I'm coming from. So, so these type of issues require a lot of thought in terms of getting a big picture together from a lot of details. Mm -hmm. um, so, <coughs> one point. The second point, it, it, I want to make two points about the general structure of men-women relationship in the Torah. The first point is, there is something, I think, a Torah fundamental that clashes very much with the, with the education we received. And that is the appropriate structure of community and governance as one as the other. Our understanding as Americans is democracy is great. A, um, uh, a monarchy is bad. Sometimes it can be benign, sometimes not, but fundamentally it's wrong and unfair and so on and so forth. That's something we grew up with. 
from the very first day we were born. That, that was our understanding of things. Judaism sees it opposite, in the following way. A group of people together are not a nation unless they come to a head. For instance, let's give an example. We're a group of people here. Let's say we, we, we would gotten, let's say we're not even in yeshiva. We, we got together for a coffee and discussion. So we're a group of people. We, we, it's nice. We pool some of our strengths, but there's nothing that makes us one. We happen to be at the same time, and if we're enjoying discussion, good. If not, we leave, and, and, and that's that. The, the, whenever to forge a common group, there needs to be some inviolable pieces, and there needs to be a, a, a something like a, a one point, a focal point. For instance, a per, there are people that don't think, but they, they're stubborn, and they do, as they first shot what they think, and they do. That's, not, that's obviously something that's bad. You have people who can see many sides to the issue, but are indecisive. That's not great either. It's maybe better than the first one, maybe not, but it's not great. There are people that can say, okay, let me look at the sides, let me think of different issues, I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to force all parts of myself to go along with the decision. Then I have a person who's together. He's, he, 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 you know, I can bring it to focus. When, even today, when we have it at a level of a town hall meeting, it's not great, it's not going anyplace. Even the structure of Congress or President means we use a democratic process to bring somebody to power, but it doesn't, you don't vote on every issue because that would destroy the country. If you put everything to a vote, we would all vote the following. No taxes, many benefits, <laughs> and someone else should do the fighting. So, so it's it, you know, like California. California is <laughs> it is is a democracy headed out to the waves because it, because you can vote on so many issues. So it, it, everybody votes no taxes. And nobody says, well, if we're not going to have taxes, nobody nobody is, is, says, well, I'm going to vote for taxes because I want many people to have benefits. So, so, so you obviously need things. Um, anything to do with uh, any movement, anything like that needs very strong leadership, which borders um, on dictatorship. The, the early Israeli government, the only reason why they were able to get a country here was because they're dictators. McGurin was a dictator. He was a positive dictator in, in many ways, but, you know, a kibbutz that didn't do what he wanted, he shut the water on Chizriov. That was him. He was, not, he was ruthless. Uh, yes, nothing for himself, and, and, and that's why you can get it done. You, you can't forge a country a collection of many opinions is a collection of many opinions. That's all it is. A federation is a federation. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice way to get some very mediocre tasks done. That's it. A town hall meeting brings out, in a certain sense, the mediocrity. Because the median, it never brings more than the median, at best. So, 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 so it's not great. A melech is uh, the way to go. Akadosh Baruch Hu, we see Akadosh Baruch Hu as the melech. We see our ideal system of being a malchus. It also becomes a very, very potentially negative institution. We went off the tracks because of kings. So Dovid Amalek and Shlomo Amalek drove us at a thousand miles an hour forward, based Amigdash, Malchus, based David, almost Mashiach, etc. And their children and grandchildren took us at the same speed off the tracks, and we crashed. And that's, where, that's why we are where we are. Uh, the kings in the Second Temple were by and large horrible, and um, they're not as powerful, but as bad. 
Hasidim are able to accomplish something that we can't accomplish as non-Hasidim because they have a very powerful figure. Everybody says, well, why does everybody have to live in Yerushalayim and, and it's so expensive? Why can't people go live in Arad and Kirkat? Well, in my world, I don't feel like living there. You should go live there. He says, you should go live there, and so on. In Ger, where they have a very powerful Rebbe figure, you know, every chassan comes in, the Rebbe says, Mazel Tov, you're living in Arad. Next. Mazel Tov, that, I'm serious. Uh, you know, and, and to quote, to quote what the, 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 the Rabbinim, who was very sharp, he was the one... You know, somebody came into him and he said, and he protested and he said, um, but Rebbe, you're doing it because people can't afford it. I'm, thank God, very, very wealthy. I can afford a part of line. So he said, so buy another Rebbe. You know, <laughs> so buy yourself a Rebbe. That, 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 so, so that's a tremendous power that, what? That did he. That I don't end the story. But, 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 but the, the, it's a tremendous power of having that. Now let's go down to a much lower level, a family. The difference between two friends and a family is, when I have a, a nice friend in yeshiva, we go to the ball game together only if we both want to go to the ball game. Um, or if I trade off, I'll go to the ball game with you and you have to take me here or whatever it is. So it's friendly and it's nice, but it never transcends each and every one of us individually. One of the, one of the things that has, as a process that, that is self-defeating, the idea now that women keep their first name. So we have a man, oh, last, name. Uh, last name, sorry, first name always keep, yeah. It's the first part of last name. So, so you'll have a Mr. Cohen is married to a Mrs. Levy Cohen. Great. Now, her daughter is going to be Levy Cohen Israel. And, 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 and then if they unfortunately get back to Katzenbergen, that really complicates the story. And, and, but, but somewhere along the line, it's not going to work. It, the, 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 the concept of a mishpacha to be one. There was somebody. There was somebody um, sitting at my table once, who said, "Bershus, me and my wife." I told him, "You've basically said we're not a family, because if you have to ask permission from each individual, then then now if you would have asked just my wife and not me, I would have had to think twice about both hands. That would have been harder. <laughs> but, but, but having both a family, is, if it's to become one unit." It can't be two people doing, you know, it, it, equal in every sense of the word. Where, where um, the, where the, 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 the you know, it's it's double veto, double this, double that. To be one unit, it means that it can come to a head with one head of the family. The Torah clearly made the male the head of the family. Let's be very clear: being the head doesn't mean having the easier life. It means being the responsible one. Being the one that eats less, if there's, you know, there's not enough to go around, it's like the captain of the ship. You're the one who makes determinations, but you also are the one that takes responsibilities. If there's nothing to eat, it's your problem, not your wife's problem. It can be used to horrendous ends, like, like monarchy can be used. And people can abuse the power, or, or even just not use it in full responsibility. And, and that's a real problem. But, it, but understanding the structure of a family that needs a head to be the final decision, under, that makes it one. That's why a family is different than just two friends. If, if, if imagine a, ch a child grows up with a sense about parents that is, is unique. These are two people that act as one. And that's why if, if parents are separated, it creates tension in a child. It's not a natural thing. 
A child, what a child needs to see is more than anything else is that two people act as one, which means the father makes decisions based on the needs of the mother and the family in general. A, a, a father who is the father where he's supposed to be, a husband and father, he has the final decision and he bases it on the needs and, and of, of everyone else, like a captain of a ship, like, like a general of the army, and so on and so forth. So that's one piece that's very important to understand. So yes, the, Torah, the same way the Torah decided that men ought to be the leaders of a country and not women, is there something innately more... It, 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 and that we need to separate the difference between better and more appropriate to make the decision. Let's give an example. You can have a corporate structure where the, 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 the um, you know, let's say it's an insurance company. The, um, the, the actuary might be much brighter than CEO in pure brain power. But what we're looking for in a CEO in terms of ability is to weigh different things against each other, to make decisions based. There's one person who might be an entrepreneur type of person. And those people are very good at establishing firms. They tend to be lousy at running firms. Because there's one, to, 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 there's a certain type of emotional ambition that's needed to get something off the ground. And there's a level-headedness and calm that's needed to run things. A male, again, it's my guess, but it fits well, is seen as being more able to do things rationally. A woman in worse emotion. Now, many times, for a child, for the, for the, for the development of, 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 of it, for a family, emotion is, is the most important component. I've met people who've gone through life upset and angry at their father and ran away from Judaism because of their father. Very, very few people have been upset at their mother and most people are drawn back to Judaism because they remember their mother, Benjamin Licht. The mother brings a kindness and a purity and a beauty to a family that a father can't and doesn't. Are there exceptions? Of course there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. But, but in terms of the general structure, and this again, this is my guess and my interpretation at this point, but I think it's sensible. A man has an ability to be, um, to be more level-headed, and that's why a judge in a case, a judge in a case needs to be more level-headed and not be swayed by easy emotions, but then you need kindness. So once you determine a person is guilty and, and, and needs this, somebody needs to deal with him and, and, and needs to help him, and, and a woman is probably much better than that. Um, I, I, I've told of this anecdote a few times, but again, I, again, I can't remember where, and I think it's, it's a very useful, for me, it was a very useful, it's an eye-opener. Um, I, I was once discussing something with my wife, and she had a, a, a second cousin that she's close to, was sitting at the table, so it was me, my wife, this woman. This woman is, uh, for many years, taught calculus in university. Very bright woman, very bright woman. Um, and the argument to me and my wife was along the lines of a certain person had signed a contract with a firm. The contract was fair, it was, it was market price at its, at its higher end, it was very fair. The company followed through exactly what it promised to follow through. This person had miscalculated in terms of what he felt his needs would be, and now he's coming to try to rewrite the contract and to fit his needs. And my sense was they had dealt fairly with him, they had followed through fairly, um, this person has a problem. It's his problem. My wife's feeling was it's not fair, and they should give more money. And this other woman took my wife's side. <coughs> and I turned to her and I said, 
I don't get you. You teach logic in college, and what you're saying makes no sense. And she said to me, that's exactly what my husband says, and I'll tell you what I answer my husband. Logic is a course in college. It's not real life. And to me, it was an eye-opener. This woman could run rings around me, possibly, in logic. But to her, that's not the way life is supposed to be. Life's supposed to be fear. Life is supposed to be that people should get what they need to get. So even though the words don't say it, and the agreement is not like that, now, it's, it's an approach that's extremely, a family that has just one side without that is a stone family. Parents that deal with the kids, like, okay, we made a contract yesterday, and it says, you get supper only if you make your bed. You didn't make your bed, I guess you'll have to fast tonight. That's a way to raise young stomites. That, that's, that's, it, it needs to say a mother to say, my gosh, it's my child. He's not going to starve to death. You know, whatever he did. It, 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 understand that, 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 a, that a family, you know, which is more important is to ask, is the right foot more important, left foot more important? You're a cripple without either of them. It doesn't make a difference. But understanding, but the decision-making process needs to be that. There's one more element to take into consideration when you deal with the halachas of men and women in, in the Torah. And that is, on a basic level, and it's true no matter what, the man is physically the most stronger, more interested and more adept at doing work outside the house, doing work that's salary earning. The woman, again, the vast majority of the time, has the abilities of taking care of a family. Um, there are very few frustrating situations more than a man who's stuck to take care of the family for a day, or a woman who has to do real man's work. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and it just, it just doesn't interest her. I was speaking to somebody recently, a woman, she's a very bright woman, she's a She's a biochemist by training, and she just she has kind of a large family of kids. And she told me she's interested in going to work. And I asked her, "Well, what are you going to do?" And she said she wants to do some like speech therapy or something. And I said, you, you, "You want a few women I know that has a, a, a half a doctorate in biochemistry?" She said, I, "I want to work with people, not with things. I don't like things, and I like people. And anything that will help me interact with people, that's what I want to do." So, so generally speaking, also in most societies, it tends to be the woman that gives birth to children. Very, it's very difficult for a man to conceive and give birth. So, so, so the woman is going to be physically tied down. She's going to be nursing the child. She's going to be taking care of the child and so on. It means that the man is going to be usually the provider of money, and he's going to have to have responsibilities towards the woman. There's also a certain equitable counterbalance. If I'm working hard and supporting her, there are expectations. And it sounds a little bit on the rough side, but at the end of the day, you have to at least define what are the expectations in terms of it can't be that he works very hard to support her, and anything that she brings in, she's using her own stuff, not contributing to family. These are issues that become sticky at some point. So, so the general Now, if at some particular generation there are exceptions, there are ways that could be dealt with, but it's, it holds true in the big picture, it holds true. So it's a broad topic, but let, let me, I guess, sort of sum it up, because we're getting close to, I guess, the end of time. Or, oh, no, no. No, what time is Mincha? Uh, one, two. Two. What? Two. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's another approach to Mincha that isn't commonly followed here. I've never been here for Okay. So, so let me recap, because again, it, it's important not to make a mishmash. The first thing that I tried to tell you was, when we're discussing this issue, I'm starting with the halachas and forming a picture. Um, it, I can't... I, I, I feel that this is appropriate for the, for the halachas and picture, but someone else might reconstructed differently, and, and I, in other words, what I'm it's, it's my observation and interpretation of, of what the halacha tells us. Point two was, 
that the, to make a unity out of different disparate elements, there needs to be someone in a head. I want to quote a Gemara on a different issue that brings out this point. Rebbe Gamliel was the head of the Besdin, and Rebbe Yeshua was not. And they had a disagreement over who, over when Yom Kippur comes out. Famous Mishnah. And Rebbe Gamliel, Rebbe Yeshua, felt Rebbe Gamliel was wrong. Rebbe Gamliel told Rebbe Yeshua, I want you to come to me on the day that you think is Yom Kippur, with your money and your stick. In, in other words, I want you to come to me and, and be mechal Yom Kippur. He came to him, and Gamliel was very moved, and he said, um, and he complimented him. He said, you are my disciple in terms of by following what I said, and you're my master because I think you possibly are a greater scholar than me. In other words, Gamliel felt for the leaders, for Klal Yisrael's, that halacha not become a million halachas. It was important that he, as the head, be followed. And anything else will lead to anarchy. And he said, despite the fact that you might be possibly greater than me, but since the structure set up that it's my decision that counts, then, then that, that creates one unit of Kali Yisrael, in an halachic aspect. A king creates the, the unity of Kali Yisrael on a more secular, mundane level. A family becomes one unit because it's, it's, not, it's not a federation of two equals. It, it, two equal, I mean, is of two exactly the same entity. It's, it's, it's rather a new structure that uses two people in ways that they complement each other and they become one. So that means the decision-making process. I mean, it, it, just like I'm one person because despite the fact that my foot has one function, my mind is something else, my mind controls my foot. God forbid people have involuntary movements. It's, it's a hell. It's, it's terrible. You, you see some people have these, it, it, they can't control it. It needs a, a family to be a family. This, it creates an opportunity to have one family, it does create um, a, a potential for bad. Every potential for good carries itself bad potential. So, so, so the leadership is the male figure always in, in, in across the board, and but being the leader doesn't mean that you're the privileged one. It doesn't mean you come home and everybody brings you the slippers and you know and and, and the paper and, and whatever it is. But but it means that you bear the responsibility of the decision making. Another element we point out was on a practical level. The man is usually more suited to bring in an income. The wife is usually more suited to stay with the kids, which means you need to deal with the arrangement that will, that will be equitable in the sense of what the man is putting in with the woman. Those, those are basic lines for that. Okay, I think we only have time for two more questions. Till 2 o'clock? I think I can walk yeah. more. Oh, good. I'm well, okay, we, can have two, we have 20 people. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the most important makshava safer for a Baal Shuba to learn? And how does one get a mahalach in makshava, become a knowledgeable tamikachum, a knowledgeable person in makshava? It's, it's, it's a very difficult question, and I'll tell you why. The word makshava includes a lot of elements into it, some of which... Um, everybody agrees on is very important, some which some people feel important, and so on. It, I, I would say because Mahshava in some ways is more difficult to learn than anything else, it's by hearing from different people and getting a sense of what you relate to most easily. If I were able to package it, I would say Mahshava is like what I just described before. It's, it's the picture that connects the dots. So, so it's more vague, and it also there's subjectivity to it. Hasidus has a certain way of looking at things. 
the Rishonim had a certain way of looking at things. Um, a, a sort of more contemporary Kabbalah approach has a certain way of looking at things. Um, Shabbat Shalom has a certain way of looking at things. You need to find somebody who can give it to you live. That's very important. Because at the end of the day, you're missing a tremendous amount of dimensions if you just learn it from a safer. And once, once you have that, a sense from that person and you feel this is the right mahalach, then I guess figuring out this firm that are meaningful to him and accessible are the ones you go with. But the, that's the only way I could, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know who thinks this, but I'm told there are. I, I, quote, I want to follow what's written in the Torah, not these rabbis. <laughs> not the rabbis. How would you respond to that? I would say that that's impossible. It's like, it's like trying to build a car with the equations. Um, you know, somebody says, I just want to know the equations that make things work, and I'll build it myself. What is the Torah says to be in a sukkah? What's a sukkah? The Torah says to put a, 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 a remembrance on your hand. What is that? It says you shall not steal from somebody else. Well, what's stealing? If, if, you know, if, if, if I think he owes it to me, can I take it from him? The, the, the Torah itself is an absolutely unusable safer. And therefore, keep Shabbos. Well, does, if it means however you wish. When people come along, they say, I keep Shabbos my way. My way keeps Shabbos. You're going to the beach and eating out, so on and so forth. I'm skeptical that the reason he goes to the beach and eats out is because he's keeping Shabbos. If he'd be doing something difficult, if he'd say, I drive across, I, I drive across Israel to help some poor people every Shabbos, this and that, even though... So at least there's something genuine about his approach, and we can argue. When a person tells me, I, 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 I would ask... Again, it's only if I was very cynical. If the Torah didn't tell you to keep Shabbos, would you still go to the beach and eat out <laughs> once a week? Like, in, in, you know, what, 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 so at the end of the day, a, a, a book that means nothing and, 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 and doesn't give you any practice as cook, it can't be that it's all there. Even the Karaites, they did many things similar to us because at the end of the day, it, 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 you know, it's got to, what is a matzah? You know, it's it's something that what's called if if the term means what you want it to mean, it's like a roshostat. It means nothing. It has no objective meaning, and it doesn't bind you to anything. If if the, and therefore there had to have been some explanation to it, and it's not viable without it. Okay, so we have another. By the way, I also could quote Rabbi Feldman in in, in uh, Rabbi Feldman in Atlanta, senior who wrote was the Onothax Journal of Onothax Rabbi. There's one great story there. There was a woman that called him. I know exactly what they're talking about, but she says, Rabbi, I keep only what's in the Ten Commandments. That's holy to me. He said, great, that means you keep Shabbos. She says, no, Shabbos not Ten Commandments. He says, it certainly is. You know, Rabbi says, double check, just make sure if it's written in the Ten Commandments or not. But, but the, at the end of the day, <laughs> the, it is, for those of you who have a question, <laughs> next week you'll learn in the, in the Pasha's Word that's in, in there. Um, <laughs> so at the end, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what are the most problematic, so dangerous? Just I last question, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what are? I, okay. What are the? I was Okay. What are the most problematic, <laughs> dangerous ideas, values, and pastimes in America that one must be wary of when raising children there? Ideas, values, and pastimes. Well, that's like a whole. Uh, I mean, this is like. <laughs> Let, 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 let me pick something. Again, I'm going to pick something just because I think it's, it, it's sort of, uh, it, it gives us a, a clue to many things. 
obviously, something that undermines an axiom is going to be the most difficult issue. Um, when something undermines the very axiom of Torah, it's, it's, it's more than any detail. It used to be the word duty, obligation, were axiomatic. There is a concept, there are things I must do, I'm obligated to do, because authority, God, society, there were different things like that. Again, it was abused, and much of it was without foundation, so it swung the other way. And in America, the most, the most, the, the expressions, even the colloquial expressions are, what are you comfortable with? Um, or, you know, do you relate to it? How do you feel with it? The word duty or obligation doesn't exist. It exists technically, so, so yes, it, there are consequences. If you, you know, if you, if you don't keep the law, they'll put you in jail. But the idea that I owe something, I'm obligated, that concept has become eroded almost totally. Psychology focuses on helping a person realize what he really wants, which is good in some ways. You know, when a person is, when, when, when a person is quote-unquote obligated to do things that he really is not obligated to do and you're not comfortable with, I do this because society likes it when I do this, but I don't really feel good. Everybody thinks being a doctor is great, so I'm going to be a doctor. I'd rather be a plumber. I like plumbing. So why are you being a doctor? Because everybody thinks it's nice to be a doctor than plumber. So there, psychology is using a very valid approach and saying, you're not obligated. But, but it's become in a way where the idea that the, 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 the Mishnah uses you were created not because you decided to create it, you were brought into this world because against your will. It wasn't your will. You're a product of some other will. And you will leave this world whether you like it or not, and you're going to be accountable to someone else's standards. That's the most, that mission I think doesn't exist in America. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that having that foundation is the Aleph of Yiddishkeit. The best way to give it to a child is not by telling him what he's obligated to do, but show yourself. If, if you need to do something, I, I want to tell you something. My father was the Mira Shiver of Enish Finkel. He was an awesome person. He, he was extremely not articulate about doing, he never said Musa Shmusen, never said you got to do that. But you can learn from him. He would sometimes, he, he would sometimes be landed, something would land on him to help somebody in a way that was very difficult to him. And, and for in many, whatever, many different areas, why? And sometimes he would mutter to himself, Mimuz, you've got to, you have to. And that was very powerful. He, 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 he once, I'm finished with this story, he had two nieces. He had, he had, a, he had a sister-in-law who passed away, left over four young children in Yisomim, and his brother was incapable of raising the kids. The kids were very difficult children, very bright, very wild, very impossible kids. Their mother had been sick for a while. It was, and the choice was to give them up to an institution, some sort of orphanage, which meant they would, it, 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 they orphanage those that were pretty horrible. It meant they, it would take a real toll on their emotional health and, and well-being. Or bring them to his house. He had two bedrooms, one for himself and his wife. He had four or five of his own kids, and very poor, and to bring in another two kids, it was the two girls, the boys had where to be, to bring in two kids who were problematic kids was really kind of overloading it. And he told my mother-in-law, I heard the story from her, we need to start, we need to think about the possibility of adopting the kids. I said, fine. And then 
they were walking later down the street, my father points to like a triple bed kind of thing in, in the window and says, we're going to buy that for the kids. She turned and said, you said we need to think about it. And he looked at her and said, you just don't get it. This is what my mother said. And my mother explained it. She said, what are the options? Should I, should I let my brother's children rot or not? To think about it means to get used to the idea. I mean, there is no choice. Over here. <laughs> you know, it, 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 what's the choice? Where do I have a choice? My obligation to my brother's children are, are bind me. So, so, so there's no choice here. It's not a question of how comfortable I'm with the idea. Uh, you know, what, what do I think? And, and, and that's that's a, so. If, if, if a child sees a father say, you know, think deliberating something and say, I have to. And, and I do it because I have to do it. That creates a sense. I, I think to me that's one of the, the one of the most undermined axioms that are necessary, absolutely necessary for Torah, and, and have been undermined in contemporary society. I think I have to go to that minute. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you very much. Hal, do you pass sermons for?